Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Russia announced today that it will immediately suspend its implementation of a UN-brokered grain deal that has seen more than 9 million tons of grain exported from Ukraine during the war and has brought down soaring global food prices. And it's feeding people around the world. Now, Russia says that because they claim uh, Ukraine attacked their Black Sea fleet in Crimea, with uh, drones that they're going to now just stop this grain deal. Uh, Ukraine at the same time says they're not responsible. But just think of the daily carnage that is caused by the Russia in Ukraine and uh, draw your own conclusions. So that's one thing I want to talk to our next guest about. And uh, another is the state of readiness of the Canadian Armed Forces as the threat to Canada's claims of Arctic sovereignty, we're told, are going to be tested. And we hear from current senior officers and uh, retired officers that the Canadian Armed Forces are nowhere near personnel requirements or military hardware requirements. What we have is old and uh, at least in, in large part, and we're not really capable of defending ourselves if it comes to that. Small military, not well equipped. We look to the South. We look to the Americans to take care of us. We do have an order in for 15 new warships. The parliamentary budget officer has just projected the costs for those to be 88 billion. Last year it was 77 billion, but uh, inflation drove the price up and the federal government's original budget was 60 billion dollars. We're being reminded by our NATO allies that we're really not holding up our end of the bargain. We committed to a 2% GDP expenditure on uh, military annually. We're nowhere near that. We're joined by Vice, Vice Admiral Mark Norman, former commander of the Royal Canadian Navy and vice chief of the defense staff. Admiral, thank you for joining us. Good to talk to you again. Well, good afternoon, Roy, to you and your listeners. So that's quite a uh, setup you've uh, provided. Uh, I'm wondering how we're going to get through all that. Well, let's give it a try. And why don't we, Admiral, if you wouldn't mind starting with uh, with Russia, your your view of Putin, what he's doing in Ukraine, and now his decision to suspend the grain deal with Ukraine over what he says was an attack on his Black Sea fleet in Crimea. Well, Roy, you know, we've talked about uh, Putin before, and, and nothing's changed. Uh, we're just seeing um, continued evidence of his uh, pathological behavior. Um, he's created an alternate reality uh, where he is uh, front and center. And, um, you know, our perceptions in the West of what he's doing really uh, aren't figuring into uh, his calculus. And this um, grain um, shutdown, I guess, as you've just described, sadly, is another example of how um, these types of events are are not isolated in the sense that uh, Canadians are not insulated from them, and nor is the rest of the world. And so now we have um, uh, an underlying concern about energy security as we roll into the winter for you know almost a billion uh, people living in Europe, supplied by Russia. Um, and uh, and now we've got a food security issue, and and uh, you know these are not um, by accident. And Putin is basically holding the rest of the world hostage uh, because he wants to annex uh, this territory, which has been central to his strategy from the outset. Yeah, he wants USSR 2.0. Um, Admiral, 
I watched uh, some video of Putin himself watching Russia's strategic nuclear forces and their annual exercises earlier this week. And it's the first time since the invasion of Ukraine and his references to Russia having and being willing to use nuclear arsenal, their nuclear arsenal. It's the first time I've seen him do that. Yet two days later, on Thursday, he said he sees no need to use nuclear weapons against Ukraine and that Russia isn't an enemy of the West, just Western leaders seeking to subjugate Russia. How do you deal with this person? How do you deal with him on the international stage? How do we deal with him? You know, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in the psychology of uh, Vladimir Putin, but, uh, you know, other experts, far more um, uh, qualified experts, have have alluded to the fact that uh, fundamentally at at the center of this, he's a bully. And um, so as soon as uh, those uh, those of us in the West, as we describe it, show any kind of softening or any kind of weakness, uh, he, he exploits it. And as for the threats of uh, the use of weapons, uh, this has been a recurring issue. And, um, you know, I, I think it is uh, a legitimate concern. But at the same time, I also believe that he is very effectively um, deterring uh, Western action by uh, the continued reference to uh, these weapons, which basically cause people no end of consternation. So, um I, I think you know he's he's and he's cornered, and that's part of this too. He, he's he's a bit of a cornered rat, uh, to put it quite bluntly. If we can bring this back home, Admiral Norman, when we look at uh, our military, Canada's military in 2022, in the state the world is in, uh, how under-equipped and understaffed is the Canadian Armed Forces today? And isn't this something that well, we, this didn't happen overnight. We saw this coming. Yeah. So to the second part of your question, sadly, Roy, I mean, this has been decades in the making. Um, and really, since the end of the Cold War, so we're looking at the 90s here, uh, early 90s, mid 90s, um, we, we've never really taken a proper look at um, what we want the armed forces to be. Yes, there's been policy updates and the previous government and this government have made great sweeping statements. And But, but really, um, the political statements are not fully supported, um, both within the governments of the day, nor are they supported um, with the necessary financial means to actually achieve it. We, we've got a force which is uh, out of balance in many respects. Um, the, the structure needs uh, a real rethink. And uh, even when we look at what, what we're supposed to have, as we're hearing now, and, and these, these uh, reports are quite alarming, and, and I think that they're, they're um, legitimate in terms of being referred to as a crisis. When you're looking at an armed forces that is only about 70,000 regular and about 30-ish thousand reservists, and you're down 10,000 full-time um, on paper, which means you're probably down more than that because on any given day, uh, one out of four people are not available for operations for a variety of reasons from um illness to administrative uh, leave and, and things like that. So this, this is a real problem. And as far as the equipment's concerned, well, you and I have discussed that many times. Um, 
I think, uh, you know, the ship example you described in your intro is a, is a great one. Um, you know, originally announced in 2007, we're now 15 years into the conversation. And uh, as your listeners will appreciate, um, inflation uh, is, is a bad thing uh, on a good day. And inflation in military equipment um, is typically in the low double digits. It's consistent. And uh, the cost of these uh, very expensive pieces of equipment are, are astronomical to begin with. And when we can't get our act together and it takes us nearly 20 years to deliver something, um, sadly, uh, the taxpayers are, are going to have to foot the bill here. It is sad, but it is necessary. We, we, this, this is essential. We have to have our military has to have the equipment in order to do the job. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, we talked before. Um, part of this is is uh, a, a situation where we have cycles of uh, neglect. Um, we get ourselves into a situation where um, every major procurement is a crisis because we've allowed the equipment to basically rust out. I mean, these ships that are designed to be replaced, uh, they were supposed to have been replaced at the beginning of this decade. Um you know, I commissioned HMCS Halifax as a junior officer, was the lead ship in the class, went in the water in 1990. Um, so it's 32 years old uh, this year, and uh, they're expected to last another 10 or 15 years while we get the new ships uh, up and running. And that's that's not an effective way to run a military. And those are just examples of the kinds of problems that we see across the entire inventory of the armed forces. And, and we've got to get smarter. There, there are more innovative ways we can do this. And uh, we just continue to perpetuate what I think is uh, bad behavior. Admiral, before we talk about the innovative ways we could go about procuring for this country the military equipment that we require and uh, generate the kind of force in personnel that Canada requires to defend itself, I think we should establish first, and I'll ask you about this, is this country an attractive option for another nation with significant power and expansionist ambitions? Wow. Um, well... Uh, we know that uh, you know Russia is uh, flexing its muscles uh, increasingly um, in the Arctic. We also know that China, in particular, is uh, expressing overt ambition around um, the Arctic. Um, in fact, uh, you know they've they've uh, got observer status on the Arctic Council, which should be of concern in and of itself. Um, they are uh, operating uh, research vessels uh, on an ongoing basis. And at, at the last time I checked, they were building more ice-capable ships than uh, the remainder of the Arctic nations combined. So, um, yeah, I think these are real concerns. Do I believe that there's going to be an overt attack um, on Canada in a traditional um, military sense? Probably not. But I think that this comes down to how we um, defend our sovereignty um, and, more importantly, how we defend our interests. And, you know, before the break, you made an interesting comment where I just want to come back to that. Our relationship with the United States, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak for them, but I think they're growing increasingly tired of uh, us um, basically uh, shirking the bill or shirking our responsibilities and not paying our bills. 
Um, and you know, we've had a couple of recent um, reminders from some of our NATO allies that we need to step up. So um, that's a that's a bit of a full circle response to your question. Yeah, and we have been told by the Secretary General of NATO, and as you say, the United States, come on, pony up, you uh, you people signed up, and 2% of your GDP is what's supposed to go to, uh, to uh, your military. Um, so how would we go about being innovative and uh, obtaining the equipment that the Canadian Armed Forces require in order to do their work and do it in a proud way? Uh, how do we do that, Admiral? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, there's no easy, quick uh, solution here. As we discussed earlier, that, you know, these problems are decades in the making. And I think I'm just going to talk about the people side of it, and then we'll talk about the equipment side of it. I think as it relates to the people side of it, um, we, we've got we've got to uh, come up with a more competitive way to deal with um, recruiting. And notwithstanding, I'm sure there's a variety of opinions out there as to whether people do or don't want to serve in the military, and, and, and that's a whole other discussion. But it, it, for those people who are expressing interest in the military, our process is incredibly laborious and uh, time-consuming, and we lose a lot. We lose people because we can't turn around a reasonable offer um, quickly enough, and uh, people will go elsewhere. And so I think that there's lots of room there for us to be smarter, leaner, faster, and innovative, and we need to dump some of these traditional um, bureaucratic systems that we have. Now, um, that can apply as well to procurement. I think what we what we need to do is we need to get away from this cycle of what I described earlier as a crisis. We need to get to a point where we're, we're buying equipment um, and we don't have to buy it. I say buy it. We could be leasing a lot of equipment. There's a lot of stuff that the taxpayers don't need to own. Um, it's cheaper in the long term uh, to have somebody else own it and operate it uh, or let the military operate it. There are things that uniform people need to do. There's things that uniform people don't need to do. Um, but we need to have a faster cycle um, so that we're not hanging on to um, 30, 40-year-old major pieces of equipment, which then cost incredible amounts of money to maintain, um, and they become that much more expensive because we don't we don't know how to rapidly replace them. And I think you know, there's lots of um, private sector um, uh, best practices out there, and we just need to move away from the traditional buy it every 30 years, own it for 40 years. Um, and uh, pay more than we need to kind of model. Um, yeah, there's certain things that, like warships, for example, that they're a huge investment. But if we have a shipbuilding industry that can actually turn around ships on a regular basis, we should be building them quicker and we should be replacing them um, sooner so we get away from these problems. And in the long term, it will be cheaper, but it's a hard pill to swallow up front. And that's what we're witnessing right now. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 